Hey, my name's Luke. Welcome back to another video. Today I'm going to be talking about muscle memory. Uh, the main points I guess I want to get across with muscle memory is just how it works exactly, the current mechanisms that we understand about it, and why taking a layoff is probably not as bad for your progress as you would think. So stick around for the full video. All right, so firstly, what is muscle memory? The definition of muscle memory tends to vary depending who you're talking about. There's really two main things that I tend to think of as muscle memory. The first one is what most people refer to when they're talking about things like sports or video games or habits, I suppose. And this is just movements that you've ingrained as a habit that you can kind of do without really thinking about too much. And that's not really what we're gonna be talking about today. That definitely does play a role in coming back to training and being able to do movements that you have done a million times before. But really what we wanna talk about today is the fact that obviously when we stop training, we lose strength and we lose muscle. And I wanna know, and I'm sure you wanna know, how quickly can we get that back and how quickly uh, do we lose it in the first place? So that's what we'll dive into today. Now, if you're listening on the podcast, uh, there are a few little pictures that can help you understand this. So head over to the blog post. Now, firstly, you know, is muscle memory a real thing? You hear a lot of people talk about whether you can actually gain back muscle quickly that you've previously had. And the answer is yes, it is. Um, and we have some scientific basis behind it now. So we're gonna get into the science of how it works in just a second. First though, I wanna give a bit of a personal anecdote because I think a lot of people in the bodybuilding world especially and in the strength training world have experienced this before or this this phenomenon of muscle memory and personally I definitely have so in I think it was about 2015 I gave up bodybuilding for a little bit it felt a little stale for me at the time and I took up adult gymnastics so we had a group called gymnastic bodies that was running some courses out of the gym I happened to get onto the course with my wife and afterwards we decided that we were going to give gymnastics a bit of a go uh, and so I committed to doing it for about six months now during that time, uh, because the volume was a lot lower and the training was much more skill-based with lower reps, I found that I lost quite a lot of muscle mass. There just wasn't the same stimulus that, they had, that I had from bodybuilding. And certainly because I wasn't doing any of the basic barbell movements, I lost quite a lot of strength in those areas too particularly the legs. So the gymnastics training that I was doing didn't involve very much leg training. It was very much based on using the rings specifically um, and a lot of the push-up and uh, I suppose core progressions that you need just to maintain a shape for some of the later movements that you do in gymnastic training. So I lost quite a lot of weight. I think I was about 97 kilos when I started and I ended up losing enough that I was about 90, 91 by the time I got done training and went back to bodybuilding. And during this time, there were a lot of new members that joined the gym. There were a few new trainers that joined the gym and they, uh, they knew me as being reasonably big. I mean, 90 to 91 kilos is not small, but uh, certainly not as big as I was before and certainly didn't have the sort of muscle pump look that I normally had because the glycogen storage in my muscles was a bit lower as well. And so when I went back to bodybuilding training and I put back all of this weight in like six weeks to two months, People suspected a bit of foul play with maybe a little bit of chemical help, but of course it wasn't the case. They just hadn't seen me before, but that's my personal story of how muscle memory is certainly a thing. And I've personally experienced that a few times. And many of you who follow me know that when I go away on holiday, I also don't actually train very much. Uh, last time we went away, we were away for about a month and I trained three times during that time. Now, of course I lost some weight. I always lose weight when we go overseas. Uh, we stay very active in terms of walking around and that kind of thing, but I very rarely train and certainly lose, lost some weight, lost some muscle, found the training sessions that I did do pretty hard. 
Uh, I remember feeling really sick doing some Bulgarians that I went a little bit too enthusiastic on <laughs> during that US trip. Um, you know, but when I come back, I find it really quickly to get back to where I was again. And I find that I'm mentally refreshed from getting back into training. So I, I definitely think that there's something to be said about the psychological or mental refresher from having a break from training. And the question really is, if we take those breaks to have a psychological refresh or to allow our connective tissue and joints just to recover a little bit, are we losing much in terms of being able to make progress long term? Are we taking you know, two or three steps back and then having to regain all of that progress. And certainly from an anecdotal perspective, it feels like that doesn't happen to a great extent. But I want to explain why. How come that happens? How come it's so much harder to build muscle in the first place than it is to gain it back after you take a little layoff? So that's what we'll get into next. I suppose first we should probably address how fast you actually lose muscle. Certainly with strength, you tend to lose that fairly quickly. And that's probably due to, I suppose, short-term skill changes. Strength has a skill component where our brain and our nervous system is trying to coordinate a bunch of different muscle fibers to fire synchronously together. And the better that can happen, the more force we can produce. So if you think about, you know, if you had um, a bunch of people pushing against something heavy, well, if you were all pushing at a slightly different timing, it probably wouldn't move too well. But if you were to count in and say three, two, one, okay, everyone push, then everybody pushing together, it, it makes it much easier to move that weight. And the same kind of thing happens when we're doing strength training. Now, in the short term, like over a week or two, depending how well trained you are, you can actually start to lose some of that, like sort of small amounts of motor unit coordination that can help you produce force. It's not that significant, but you certainly can see a slight reduction in strength after like two weeks or so. Um, and you certainly see with elite athletes, sometimes they'll start to lose strength, that very top end strength when they're the best in the world. Um, they might start to lose that after a week or something like that. Now, muscle probably follows a similar time course. It obviously depends how advanced you are, how much muscle you have, what your nutrition is like, all that sort of stuff. But as a general rule, I think you'll probably start to notice significant changes in your muscle mass after two to four weeks. Um, sometimes it might even be a bit longer because we certainly um, lose some glycogen in the muscle when we're not training it. I mentioned that before with my gymnastics training. Essentially, if you're doing training that really taxes the muscle from a carbohydrate point of view, like it's really anaerobic, it's reasonably high reps, you're putting the muscle uh, under quite a lot of training volume, then it requires fuel and what the muscle will do is it will actually soak up glucose and store it inside the muscle in the form of glycogen. And so uh, when you cease that kind of training, there's no need to store that glucose there anymore and it doesn't get stored in your muscle anymore and it makes the muscles look a little bit flatter. So you may still have the same amount of actual contractile tissue there, but the, uh, the size of the storage depot tends to shrink a little bit. And so your muscles might look a little bit smaller. You might not get as much of a pump when you train again, um, but that'll rapidly come back. Okay, so let's get into actually explaining how muscle memory works. Now, central to this whole idea is something called myonuclear domain. So let's break that down because it sounds a bit scary. Myo just means muscle. We say myofibril and that means muscle fiber. Uh, if we say anything to do with myo, it means muscle. Now, nuclear refers to the nucleus of a cell. And if you remember back to your high school biology, that's where your DNA is housed. And the DNA is kind of the recipe for how to run the cell. So the nucleus acts as like the command center of the cell. Uh, if ever you need a recipe to build a protein or a structure inside the cell, if you need to make any messengers inside the cell, any packaging, anything like that, you have to refer to the nucleus because it has the recipe for how to do that. And it tells the cell how to run itself. All of your genes are located in there. So this is really important because most 
cells only have one nucleus. But muscle cells can have multiple nuclei. They can have many nucleuses. We call them nuclei for plural. Uh, and now this means that a muscle cell can actually be much larger than your average cell. The reason why is because if you think of that command center, it has a certain amount of space within the cell that it can look after. And as that cell starts to get bigger and bigger, it gets more difficult to manage. You can think of it like if you had a hospital looking after a certain area of the city. It's very difficult for that city to continue to expand if it doesn't have the infrastructure to support that. So if your city is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and there's not enough police stations or hospitals or train stations or bus stops, well, it's not gonna work very well and it's not likely to be able to grow very big. And the same thing happens with a cell and we call this myonuclear domain. The domain is the area that the myonucleus, the nucleus inside a muscle cell can look after. And it can only look after a certain amount of area before it just gets too much stuff to overview. So if the muscle cell can have multiple nuclei, it means it can actually get bigger and bigger and bigger. And each of those nuclei kind of looks after its own little area of the muscle cell, which is really, really cool. And it also means that the more nuclei we have, the more of that genetic material, the more recipes we have there, if we want to go and synthesize some new proteins, well, geez, we've got a lot of different sites we can go to to get the recipe and to make that protein. We don't have to go to the only nucleus there. There's heaps of nuclei we can go to to go and synthesize that protein. So it's really important that we understand this concept of myonuclear domain because that explains the muscle memory effect. Essentially what happens is when we stop training, uh, the body recognizes that muscle is pretty energetically expensive tissue to maintain and obviously when you move around and you've got more muscle, you're burning more energy. So from a survival standpoint, it makes a lot of sense that you might want to limit the amount of muscle you have to only the bare essentials. And we can tell our bodies to keep that muscle around with training. If we continuously stress the muscle, we're telling the body, hey, you know, we got to lift heavy stuff. we got to keep this muscle around. But as soon as we stop doing that, the muscle actually shrinks and we lose some of that contractile tissue and all of the supporting structures, all of the infrastructure around that. But we don't lose the myonuclei. We don't lose those nuclei inside the muscle cell. So now, even though our muscle cell itself might have shrunk quite a lot, we still have all of those command centers there that can potentially manage a huge area inside the cell, which means when we start training again and the body recognizes, oh, I better build up this muscle cell and make it bigger again, we already have the infrastructure in place in terms of those nuclei, those command centers, to look after a larger area. And it means that we can grow much faster again than what we did initially before we had all of those myonuclei. So I'm sure your next question is, okay, that's great. So how do I add more nuclei to my muscle cells? So that's what I'll talk about next. So any form of training can help with uh, activating satellite cells that end up becoming myonuclei. But the biggest thing seems to be muscle damage. Now, I wouldn't specifically recommend training for muscle damage just before we go into this next section and I explain satellite cells. Um, I think that muscle damage is going to come along for the ride, no matter what kind of training you're doing. If it's effective for muscle growth, you're going to get some muscle damage. There's a danger, I think, in in accruing too much muscle damage because it means that your body has to, you know, you dig yourself into a hole that requires some recovery. And if you dig that hole too deep, then your body is just trying to synthesize all of this protein to get back up to baseline. And so if our muscle damage is too great, your body's spending all of its resources on trying to repair that damage and it has nothing left to actually synthesize new proteins and make the muscle bigger.
So ideally we want a little bit of muscle damage, but then we want this sort of rebound effect where we get a little bit better and we adapt and we grow new muscle tissue. So I wouldn't chase muscle damage necessarily, but muscle damage is important. Here's how it works. So we actually get the, the extra nuclei that join onto the muscle fibers and the muscle cells from satellite cells. Now satellite cells are these undifferentiated cells. So you might know that, um, that cells can differentiate into different types. So they start as stem cells and then they, they differentiate and they become intestinal cells or cardiac muscle cells or brain cells or whatever it is. So we have these satellite cells that sit just outside the muscle and they are undifferentiated. Now, what happens is if we have enough muscle damage, the satellite cells act to help repair that muscle damage. So they will merge with the muscle tissue and they will turn into what we call myoblasts. Now, myoblasts are essentially the stem cell for muscle tissue. And so they can donate their nucleus, they can give their nucleus away to our intact muscle cell and that helps it to grow and repair. So essentially we're getting satellite cells donating their nucleus to the muscle fiber or the muscle cell. And that's how it works. So we need some muscle damage around, but not too much. Now, interestingly, anabolic steroids can actually increase this effect. So that's one of the reasons why people who have previously used drugs are kind of on this shaky footing with coming back to competition. You know, if you have someone who's been abusing anabolic steroids for most of their training career, and then they get discovered and banned for like two years, well, the problem is, is that they still have an advantage because those myonuclei inside the muscle cell tend to hang around for quite a long time. Some research even suggests as much as 15 years. Now we don't know for sure how long uh, those nuclei do actually stick around in the muscle cell. We don't know if it's forever. We don't know if it's for six months for some people or in some cases, it's an active area of research, but there's some research suggesting that it could be as much as 15 years. So if you're using a ton of steroids and you have all of this myonuclear addition, your myonuclear domain is really big. You have lots of nuclei inside the muscle cells, which helps you to recover and grow and get stronger and bigger. Well, even when you cease taking steroids, you still have that advantage inherent. So you could be banned for two years, but you, your trainability and your, your ceiling is still much higher than someone who has been clean their entire life. Now, it could also explain some of the genetic differences between people who happen to be hyper responders to training. You know, those people who just grow really easily or recover really quickly from training. Um, it could explain part of that as well. They might just have a higher baseline myonuclear number than some other people. Okay, so let's say you've taken a layoff, uh, you've gone away on holiday to the US and you've only trained three times in four weeks. How long does it take to get back on board? Well, the answer is it really depends. It depends on your training status before you left. It depends on your own particular myonuclear number. How many of those command centers do you have in your muscle cells? It depends on a bunch of other factors too. That's not the only factor involved with generating new proteins and making your gains. So it kind of depends, but in my personal experience, it takes like maybe two to four weeks to get back to where you were again before. Um, I haven't had a super long layoff before except for that gymnastics uh, example that I gave you. During that time, I think to get back to where I was, which was six or seven kilos of scale weight, not all of that is muscle. Obviously, I said some of that's going to be glycogen and things like that. Uh, I think that took only about two months, so maybe eight to ten weeks after having six months off. And obviously that's just a personal anecdote. You can't take that uh, as an extrapolated, but it does give a little bit of information there. So, you know, I think the takeaway from this is firstly that you don't need to panic if you get injured or if you you're going away on holiday and you can't train. 
or anything like that. I certainly think that taking extended breaks all the time is probably not the best thing for progress long term because obviously you're spending more time away from training and if you're taking you know months off every year then eventually that adds up to years worth of time you could have spent training and getting better. But at the same time I think having the occasional break from training is actually a really good idea. It could probably help you in the long term because like I said before you get a mental refresher, some of your joints and connective tissues get a little bit of a rest. You can try out some different activities as well. And it certainly takes a lot of the mental stress off when you're going away on holiday or you have a break over Christmas or if you have a small injury that you can't, um, you can't train properly for like you know a month or two. So uh, with all that in mind, there is some solid science behind it. It's an active area of research. It's, it's really fascinating stuff, uh, but I hope that's given you a little bit more insight and maybe we will change your approach to training in the future. All right, if you want to read the blog post, uh, it is live on my website. It explains everything in detail. You can look at some pictures as well. Uh, but anyway, thanks for watching. Hope you enjoyed and I'll catch you in the next one. Thank you.